Hey, John. Hey, Marcy. How's it going? You know, just here, living at a time where we can say Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. <laughs> it's funny because I was like, we should definitely be like, welcome to 2021. And then I'm like, wait, there are more important things to discuss. <laughs> Yeah, but welcome to 2021. So welcome to 2021, everyone. We're the Pop Culture Theologians. Um, thank you for following along this random journey through the crown that we're taking because we're also surviving a pandemic and the fall of democracy. How are you doing, John? You know, today's a good day. Today feels good. I'm not, I'm not going to sing victory. I'm like thinking in Spanish while speaking in English. Like I'm not, no quiero cantar Gloria. Like I don't want to sing victory until it's on the table. But today feels really, really good. And not just because all of Twitter is ass emojis. Um, I've been dying over the use of the peach by everyone. Um, so, so John, why don't you introduce us to anyone who, I don't know, maybe this is the one episode of The Crown that they loved because it is probably the best episode of the season. Um, anyone who's joining us who doesn't know who the fuck we are. Well, welcome newcomers, first timers. We are the pop culture theologians, two academics who love to worship at the altar of pop culture. We are two individuals who find, I don't know, what, what shall we call it, Marcy? Solace, joy. Um, anger, but whatever we do with <laughs> pop culture and through the we work out world. our collective trauma through TV and movies for you. For you. Um, but yes, so we are two academics who love studying pop culture, its impact on society, where we see it every day through movies, TVs, you know, whatever is out there. Social media right now is a flurry with how we can see people worshiping pop culture in all these ways. So yes, we are the pop culture theologians and here to be with you. Yes. And so John, if I wanted to follow your voice online, where would I find you? You can find me at jerickson85 on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and Marcy, what about you? Y'all can find me at Martha Ovidia on Twitter. Uh, I have left the world of Facebook. <laughs> and my Instagram is only for my family to get pictures of my dogs. But, um, but you can 100% find me on Twitter. I live there. I die there. I sleep there. Uh, at Martha Ovidia. Um, yes. And you can find some of our writing at the Engaged Gaze. Uh, and some love for our sister podcast, The Bible Bitches, who are also housed at the Engaged Gaze website. So, um, so John, I think we should go through some what the fucks, uh, which is how we usually open up our podcast. Like, what has been happening? Um, I had a list, too, that seems really uh, not even, like, relevant anymore. Um, but can we just have a moment for how bad Wonder Woman was? <laughs> We can um, have a moment for it. So I saw it twice. Um, I saw light a candle for it. <laughs> I saw it once in the uh, at home, like with the rest of y'all. Because where are there? The I guess theaters are open by you, right, Marcy? I uh, I don't know. I've only been to drive drive-in movies since last year. So, um, well, but it's Florida, it so my guess is yes, our movie theaters are open. <laughs> Yes. Well, the second time I saw it was in a drive-in. And I have to say, I enjoyed it more the second time around. The film is um, uh, good for maybe one third of the film. And then, like, it goes to hell in a handbasket quite quickly. Um, it's just, 
I, I'm actually really traumatized by it. So I don't know how much I can talk about it because Wonder Woman was the only thing out of like the DC universe giving me hope, but it was one of the strongest films I've ever seen um, debut like it did in 2016 or 2017. And here we are. So, uh, you know, we have some ways to go, but I don't blame, <laughs> I don't blame, I think the creator or the director. Ultimately, I just think that this is, showing the larger uh, nowhere to go of the DC universe. Just uh, see, I will 100% blame uh, mm-hmm. the right, in particular, the writing team, um, which includes folks that I, that I have loved and admired. Um, I actually wrote uh, a love letter to my dad. Uh, folks who have listened from all the way back know that um, I grew up in the business, my dad worked for Warner Brothers. Uh, we are a DC household. And I wrote this like love letter to the original Wonder Woman film because I grew up without female heroes. I grew up with a lot of princesses and we're about to discuss one. <laughs> but I was so excited about the vision for female empowerment that existed in the first Wonder Woman, how diverse it was and kind of just everything that it was. And here the writing was, uh, not only was it bad, it was offensive. Um, The use of the Middle East and the way in which- Why did they have to go to the Middle East? (laughs) Because Gal Gadot has some pretty serious issues. with with uh, with the Middle East that we don't talk about. And then also I had, and we all know if you follow me on Twitter, I love the Mandalorian, I love Pedro Pascal. Um, I'm sorry, why do we have a Latino playing what is effectively Trump with a conscience? Um, it, the character the, that is central to the story is this like bloated over the top characterization of that white bro of the 80s of excess. And so to kind to have a Latino step into that role with an Asian child that is not explained to us at all. Oh my um, God, I was so confused by that. Felt really, really disingenuous. Give Pedro Pascal all the roles. Please do not give him this one. Um, you know, I don't fault him for taking it, but oh my God. Everything, yeah. everything was wrong. The only thing that was right was the fashion. And I still don't know if that is because the fashion was actually great or if because I've watched so much TikTok of Gen Zers obsessing over the 80s that I have now convinced myself that 80s fashion is actually fashionable, which is a sentence that would not have made sense two years ago. So um, crazy, crazy there. Uh, other, Other things that have happened before we do a little bit of politics and then jump into the episode, uh, Bridgerton dropped on Netflix. Uh, from the Shonda Rhimes kind of mind, uh, the first Regency, technically not first, there were a couple films, but the first Regency uh, series to be explicitly diverse and include uh, black and brown bodies as like lead characters um, where their black or brownness is not actually centralized. It is just a part of who they are. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the show. Um, we are not going to cover it because I would be blushing half the time, uh, but it's really good. It's uh, it's different. And also 36 million is the number that Netflix put out of folks who, of individual households that watch the show. So um, folks who follow film and TV, Netflix doesn't release numbers. Uh, we never get numbers from Netflix. Mm. So that 36 million number is insane for a show that, um, 
that is actually pretty niche. Uh, Regency is niche. Uh, Regency with like Skinamax level sex is even more niche. Um, so, so really exciting for, for folks who, uh, who love anything with a corset, which that is me. Um, and then our third kind of thing is, holy shit, Georgia. Oh, Georgia. 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 <laughs> Georgia. Whoa. Georgia. Uh, again, not, not singing glory, but Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. So here's something that I saw on Twitter that I thought was so important. Um, I saw someone highlight the fact that, like, the South has not been read. The South has been suppressed. And, like, that is both historically and ethnically true. Uh, um, the South should have had a blue wave uh, for a very, very long time. Uh, everything from gerrymandering to voter suppression to our absolutely inhumane um, incarceration slash uh, voting uh, laws have suppressed the vote of the people in the South. So um, a lot of love for, for the Southern states really pulling, pulling through, not you, Florida, not you. Um, not you, not looking not at you, Florida. I actually just got a, a notification from CNN that Cuban Republicans are protesting outside of Versailles in Miami, um, asking for the president to step in and uh, exert his authoritarian power. And in the words of our great prophet Alanis Morissette, isn't that ironic? <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. Um, we're living in some strange times, but go Georgia. Go Georgia, go organizers. Um, I, so many folks on the ground. Um, proof that if you fund, listen, and believe <laughs> in organizers and the people on the ground, change can happen. So, super exciting. Um, speaking of change happening, I'm excited to go through this episode. It's probably the best episode of the season. Um, I would say it's one of the best episodes of the entire series. You were going to oh. beat me to it, girl. Give me a moment. Jeez. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is where the crown really shines. So it's definitely, you know, something that I, I'm really looking forward to. Um, I would say it is more proof that we need less of the historical stuff we know and more and more of the interpersonal relationships of these people and that's where the crown always is right so today we're going to be breaking down the episode terra nullius all right so john can, can we brush off your latin for a bit or should i brush off mine <laughs> um i definitely think we should do yours <laughs> uh terra nullius is uh the Latin term for nobody's land, unclaimed land, right? Historically, uh, historically, it was used um, uh, to claim land that was inhabited, lived in um, by indigenous folks, um, because apparently indigenous bodies were not bodies at all. Uh, where the where the title I think has a double play in this episode is um, when the British colonized Australia, they they invoked Terra Nullius, right, saying like it is justifiable to conquer this land because effectively it's not owned by anyone because Indigenous people are not anyone. 
um, horrible history there. Uh, it's it's been it's been debated. It's gone to court. Um, it's it's just terrible. It's just it's the violence of uh, colonialization. Um, where I think there is a play here is um, nobody's land is to a certain extent where we find Diana and Charles in this episode. Emotionally uh, and physically. Emotionally and physically. According to the British Empire, Australia is nobody's land, um, which is where the majority of this episode takes place. Um, so to situate Marcy, it, yeah. Coincidentally, what do you think I call nobody's land here in California? <laughs> Victorville, Orange County. Anything east of La Brea. Anything east of La Brea. Well played. Well Dark played. and scary town. <laughs> uh, I honestly, at this point, I would take anything in, in Los Angeles. Um, I miss home so much. But uh, so, so to situate this episode, uh, Diana is 21 years old. Um, I just want to keep driving home how, how young she is. She is 21 years old. She's a new mom. Uh, she is struggling. <laughs> and she is sent on a tour with her husband to Australia. Now, John, we saw this recently with two other royals. Yes. Really recently, actually. Um, with two other royals who also were ill-fated in the royal family, Meghan Markle and um, Prince Harry did a very similar tour to this this exact tour. Um, so did Kate and William. Um, so it's it's like a, a honeymoon tour almost at this point. Mm -hmm. So she's we're two years into the marriage, and we've got some dynamic shifts. We know that Diana is already becoming the people's princess, right? Um, but but everything that, that the episodes previous to this have set up continues to be true. Um, her and Charles are kind of living separate lives, um, including they live in separate palaces almost. Um, and we know that like she's just not developing that relationship with him or with her in-laws. And Charles is in deep with his mistress no matter what he says <laughs> um, he's gone on record a lot to say that they were not having an affair at this time and it's like yeah okay okay sure um so this episode takes place in like early 1983 so two years before i came into this world two years i could have worn that fashion Does again that i'm confused a little it, older than me marcy oh Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> By like months. Get out of here. <laughs> um, I, so, where I, can. I know. So they take a trip to Australia and New Zealand for six weeks, which look, I'd some who I would give up a lot for a trip for six weeks anywhere right now. Same. Anywhere. Um, and the episode opens with the Prime Minister of Australia, Bob Hawk. Um, just shitting on, on the royal family, rightfully so, saying, like, it doesn't make sense uh, why we are still, you know, woven into this, like, colonialist nightmare. Um, the royals are out of touch. Like, like he's just shitting all over it, as he should. Um, but 
he he's failed to remember one thing, which is we like shiny things. And there is no shinier thing in 1983 than Diana uh, arriving on your soil with all of her tiaras and glamour and shit. And no matter how much you shit on them, there's going to be all these aunties and Karens outside being like, oh my God, yes. Oh my God, yes. Um, so, so a miscalculation there that has happened multiple times in history, which is, which is why these tours happen. Every time there's just like a little bit of like chatter of like, maybe we like take a step back from the Commonwealth or maybe this is all dumb. They shoot off a princess and a prince with some tiaras and everyone forgets it, that nothing is more outrageous than hereditary uh, royal families in, in 2021 or in 1983. Um, so this, the episode also starts with a kiki of the, the older set, um, just really callously discussing Diana and her eating disorder and like their shock that she wants to take William on the trip. Right. Yeah. Um, and yet there's pushback of how, well, maybe if the queen had been more involved with her kids, they wouldn't have turned out so fucked up, which is, I mean, I live for Margaret and Anne voicing truth to power there. Um, but also the queen doesn't seem to really process that there is anything above the crown. So even if her kids are super messed up, I don't particularly think she cares because the only thing that matters is the crown. Exactly. Um, and I think that that ultimately what we have here is that, you know, and that's such a great scene, which is why when like the, the queen's like, well, we went away and we left the children here and she just cannot comprehend this motherly type of love that I think you're seeing Diana really show how she's different and what she's ultimately known for then throughout, you know, her time. And what you see is that look from uh, Princess Margaret when she's like, well, yes, what could have gone wrong? And then Princess Anne look up at her and just like there's like a shot of resentment in a way and it's yeah. just the queen is yeah. completely it's like, it's like that TikTok does she not see me <laughs> does she not see me right here that's exactly what that felt like um and like raise your hand if you haven't been in the room where your parents literally cannot make the connection between trauma they are criticizing that simultaneously is trauma they have imparted on you exactly uh, yeah, like we have all been in that situation where it's like, <laughs> do I look okay? Right? Like we've all had those moments. Um, so obviously we have this like comparison of like the queen, her majesty, who is so separate from her children. And then Diana, who's this like hands-on mom to, to a fault. I've, as someone who's read all of her biographies and stuff, this bitch thought her kids were her saving, saving grace. And um and her best friends and that is not healthy either um but we we will probably get to that in the next season but um but there is just like a very real um pitting pitting both images of motherhood next to each other right and so they go to australia and i think this is bad writing diana just suddenly finds out that the plan is for william to be away from her for a couple weeks with a nanny in the middle of nowhere and she loses her shit um and rightfully so like he's like a year old like it's not appropriate to be like 
let me just send my child with someone else. But I think what we're supposed to get from that scene is how little Charles does to intervene with his private secretary who is talking to Diana. Like she is a child, like a petulant child. Um, like he's entirely disconnected from it, right? And I've yeah. seen folks who are like, well, the problem is that for Diana, her kids were the priority, not the crown and not her husband. And I'm like, so she, she was a human. And like the royal family had no idea what to do with well, She was a mother first, right? Because right. that's ultimately all she had. I mean, she was, she wanted to be a wife, but well, thanks, Charles. Well, you, suck. you can't have it both ways. You can't simultaneously be like, I don't want you and I want my mistress, but also why do you not pay attention to me? Yeah. Like, and that's, that's the, I mean, just wanted to like slap Prince Charles in this episode most of the time because, and then there's a moment and that's why this show's so good is that you're like, oh, this is the good years. Oh, bliss. And then you're like, oh, wait. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, no, it takes like a quick, a quick turn. Um, and so in the first couple of days, we do see a lot of blunders. Um, so uh, there's like a lack of energy from Diana at some of the interviews. Um, she complains about the like the extreme heat and like the just the, the physical demands of the tour, right? Um, and again, this is all layered in with a woman who just had a child and also is struggling with a severe eating disorder. And what I would consider, we can all really kind of agree, at, le at least a depressive episode, um, if not just like a really tragic kind of uh, point in her life. And, he, and Charles just calls Camilla every day to be like, let me tell you what she did today. And I, oh, every part of me is like, I, I don't care that. 30, 40 years have passed. Like, no, just, I mean, the, no. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's so disrespectful. I don't really know what the protocol is for having a mistress, but I just feel like he's doing it wrong, even within the doing confines it. of having he's a mistress. doing it in the Prince Charles way because no one can do anything to him. You know, like he's doing it in the way in which he's probably seen others do it. But like, what's, a person going to say to him like oh you shouldn't be doing that right 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 nothing like, he's a spoiled little brat oh it's it's just awful it's awful um so then she diana demands that that um they visit william right and so they go and they have this like you know i, I feel like couples will relate to this this like huge blow up drag out fight where they say all the things that need to be said and for a hot moment it looks like they might have actually turned yeah. a corner well they have this right? really honest conversation you know and and it's essentially he's like what is i mean here let's boil down i just want you to like love me and fawn over me and she's like well i just want you to stop calling your mistress every day and love me as your wife hello i'm princess diana do you see what you have and they kind of have this renaissance yeah and, and i think um i think this is a really beautifully acted scene by both of them where um the vulnerability and fragileness of their um of their selves like their egos is actually brought to the table versus being hidden. So they both say like, I'm lonely, I feel unseen, I feel unappreciated, I feel, and what's sad is they both pretty much feel exactly the same way, which is why you're like, then do, then fix it. 
<laughs> because I, I do think that there was at least some, appre- I mean, like there was some appreciation for each other. There was at least a bit of infatuation with each other. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it's this moment where you're like, even though we know everything that's going on, this is like a Titanic moment. It's like Jack and Rose in the car and you're like, oh my God, they're going to live happily ever after, even oh though we God, know they're the not. Car can, the car can run on water. It's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be fine. And we know it's not. So then um, we have this gorgeous scene where they have this dance to can't take my eyes off of you. Just historically um, super accurate for how they- Super accurate, the dress, everything. Um, what we what we don't know is how that is playing internally with Charles until a little bit later. We do know that he stops returning Camilla's calls for a little bit, and they're like obsessed with each other, right? Just obsessed with each other. Why are you um, obsessed with me? Yeah, why? Are you, why are you so obsessed with me? And like, there's like this really good moment. Um, and, and Charles is just like, really, I think, I think this is when the infatuation and he falls under the spell of, of Diana really comes to light. Also her interviews, when she approaches it from the perspective of being just this mom and wife, who's like super excited to be there, her interviews change and and she kind of comes alive. Um, which again, uh, it's like we're hearing the music from uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out, like start because what we think should be this great moment is actually tons of dissidents. Because Charles, instead of taking this all in as a shared success, is starting to really chafe at the attention um, not being on him. Mm-hmm. Right? So the star. And it's really at that moment where that and it's there's I went back and actually kind of watched some of these news clips of them in the streets and it's really that slow-mo and you know what it reminded me of of when you know the queen and prince um uh philip were in australia and they kind of have all their drama they kind of did it in this unique way with prince charles and princess diana then and it's like very slow-mo you see everyone looking at the queen AKA in this case now, Princess Diana and not at the man. And that ultimately being the insecurity of their own masculinity, identity, whatever you want to call it. That's a whole nother podcast really then coming back. And who does it hurt the most? The woman in the show. Right. Right. Um, and I've actually, the first time I encountered a conversation that this reminded me of was actually my boss, um, at my old job, uh, she was amazing. And, and when she first started, she goes, I just want you to know that my job is to get you places. Like I want your success reflects on me. Your success is my success, right? Like when you soar, I soar. And I remember being really shocked that like, I hadn't encountered that type of a mentality very often because so often um, we are pit against each other as if success cannot live next to success, right? It has to compete. Um, so it's tragic because this is honestly exactly what they needed to happen. Um, but yeah, no, his, his own toxic masculinity, his insecurity, everything comes into play. Um, and like we go from fairy tale trip to he's locked her outside of the room, doesn't want to talk to her. This is after we are clearly led to believe that they had like crazy sex and like hooked up after um the dance night um all of a sudden she is uh 
she's locked out he's a he just cannot process the fact that she's turning into this global icon and he is still just boring old charles um yeah and that has diana spiral back into her her binge eating and like this kind of very um unstable situation so she does what no woman in her right this is how i know she wasn't well she does what no woman in her right mind would do which is she makes an appointment to talk to her mother-in-law no like mummy mummy you, you go to a therapist you go to miss cleo you go to your best friend i don't care you just don't go to your mother-in-law um <laughs> forget that she's the queen um like and the queen is really dismissive of diana being like i don't know like why he's unhappy or whatever and i think a part of it is the queen had been watching videos of her time in australia and philip makes this offhanded comment of like she's way more popular than you implying more beautiful than you younger than you everything so i think the queen from her own hurt not even listening to diana's like well you did really kind of like fucking suck suck out the room of like the air out of the room right like you really like put it on for everyone right um and so while I read some reviews that were like, she's defensive of Charles, I don't think she gives a shit about Charles. I think she was licking her own wounds at her time sunsetting a bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, she, that's the thing is she always has the hardest time connecting to Charles as we've discussed in, you know, the favorite episode and all of that. And I think when it comes to understanding this, you know, what she's doing now, she's saying, oh, wow, I'm being eclipsed. Or she's trying to live back on this golden time and she's seeing, you know, everyone essentially say, well, the trip was the biggest success there ever's been. And she's like, oh, is it Charles? And they're like, no, Diana. And she's like, oh, shit. You know, and I think that's ultimately what rings some spots into her head of going, wow, you know, and maybe it's all not what it seems. Yeah, no, it's um, it's just, uh, it, it's a horrible moment and i think um from a from a domestic abuse situation um it is a very human moment uh women are consistently told to go back to shitty husbands and stay and to stay with them and to do a lot so again the human part of this whole show is that what we're really watching is a family who has no idea how to human Right, and they put her in a significant amount of danger. Um, the show again was was careful at what they showed. They've been they've they've been relatively good at um, towing the line of like how you show an eating disorder versus um, glorifying it. Uh, they don't show her throwing herself downstairs when she's pregnant with William, which we've talked about. Um, but clearly, she's in a very precarious spot, and this woman just, I mean, does not does not care at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the woman that needed a memo for her children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Elizabeth has uh, Lizzie. Um, <laughs> Good old Lizzie. Lilibet has dinner with her folks, and she um, she kind of says, you know, what if Diana's like, what if Diana's right that this is off? Like, what if, what if it's, what if were too tough and there's not enough of a um i compare it to joining a job what if we didn't do enough to onboard her and what if we haven't been supportive enough and what if all this and the queen mom is like um she's like a baby girl and she will bend and then um 
Margaret, again, speaking truth to power, says, or she'll break. Like, um, if you guys haven't broken her already, she'll break. And she As says someone that with such honesty. Because they broke her. Yeah. Like, um, and we were coming up on some Margaret episodes that I think do a really good job of kind of breaking this down. But, like, they broke her. They broke her. Um, there was such a lack of care for her as a human being. And while Margaret, Margaret is the epitome of, uh, I'm not even going to say white feminism, but like white female privilege, uh, which is Margaret should be Diana's biggest advocate, right? Um, Understanding what it's like in that family to just not be able to breathe and to be stuck in loveless marriage and to be at the will of all these people deciding extremely important things about your life without you having a voice in. But proximity to power keeps her silent for the most part. Her desperation for proximity to power um, keeps her from living her own life, telling the truth, doing whatever. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, and then I think to close off this episode, um, there is no way that you watch this episode in, in 2020, 2021, not through the lens of what has happened with Meghan Markle. Mm-hmm. This episode is to me, the closest kind of snapshot we have to what went wrong with Meghan Markle. Yeah. Uh, what went wrong? What, how was she not onboarded correctly? In which ways was she emotionally uh, left out of the loop? In which ways was she pit against other folks in the firm? Um, how horrific was that experience? Uh, we don't know. I hope we do someday. But this episode makes me wonder um, how close her experience was to this. Not from the perspective of... of um, of Harry not loving her, she has fortunately, and I think that's what gave them the fortitude to leave the royal family, whereas we've seen Margaret was not able to make that choice. Um, it, I think it's really damning of like William and Kate and the Queen and everyone else, um, because from what we can tell from the show, uh, no person with decent morals and a beating heart should make it through this no because the only people who make it through this are right the only people who make it through in the firm in the british royal family are those who prioritize power over existence the charleses of the world right and even charles i would say uh did more bucking and like fighting than some of the more modern royals um charles charles has spoken out on politics when he's not supposed to technically charles married the woman he wanted even though he wasn't supposed to um is is it messy and a hot mess yes um but i would say it's much more damning of of the will and kate set to be honest uh and obviously the queen and uh the older firm so so that's this episode that's That's this episode the fashion in this episode is to die for the um, music is incredible. Um, it yeah, really no, just is a-, a wonderfully shot episode. The, the, I mean, you know, we didn't even get to the point uh, when they were out in the outback and she asked for a cup of water and like the disdain on Charles's face for having, you know, her ask for a cup of water makes the, the you know, the crown look weak. I mean, there's so much in here. That's just a jewel. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's an event that Charles goes to by himself, and everyone's like, where's Diana? And he loses his shit. Um, there's um, this beautiful shot. Granted, it was shot in Spain, and you can tell that it's not shot in Australia, but there's this shot of them. She's in this, like, very accurate, historically beautiful pink outfit um, where thousands and thousands gather outside just screaming her name. And then the look on Charles' face, that look. Um, it's funny because I saw a clip recently, I don't know if you remember, when um, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler presented um, George Clooney a Lifetime Achievement Award. And they were like, George Clooney's here with his wife, you know, who, and then they list all of her accomplishments, which I mean, are absolutely, Amal Clooney's accomplishments are incredible. And they're like, but somehow we're giving her husband a Lifetime Achievement Award. And he took it in such stride. He laughed. He was like a hundred percent. And he's the type who always makes room for his wife. I mean, obviously this is an outsider looking in. Um, and and then wondering what what it would take for men and for common uh, modern masculinity to accept the success of women as its as its own thing and not um, not tied to or in the shadow of men's success. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love. Didn't George Clooney say like, "I'm just a mall's husband"? So great yeah. to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The war, <laughs> like, yeah, um, just incredible kind of um, difference there. So, um, I'm very interested to see how the modern royal family uh, plays out in light of so much of the stuff getting a second, third, fourth viewing. But great episode. Great episode. Another another jewel. Another jewel. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us and we will see you soon with the next episode of The Crown. See you soon.